Welcome back to Blockstream Talk. Today we're talking to Tomas Alvarez, CEO and co-founder of Mifio. Tomas and his team are using Liquid as the issuance technology for promissory notes in Mexico. This promissory note market is big not only in Mexico but across Latin America. The notes themselves are actually a really interesting product. They're essentially high-yielding, tokenized bearer assets. I found this whole conversation fascinating because it's a product and a market that I have no background in. And going into the conversation, as I, I was expecting it to be kind of emerging and niche, but Tomas and his team have already gained pretty significant scale. They've done more than 70,000 issuances, worth more than $200 million, and they're interacting with bulge bracket U.S. investment banks that are looking for access to this market. It's really interesting to see Liquid solve for some of the inefficiencies in this market, streamlining the issuance process, um, facilitating cross-border transactions, and then those benefits pulling in mainstream institutional investors. I think for me, there's probably at least two really interesting data points to take away from this conversation. Number one being that participation of these banks supports the view that tokenization of markets is increasingly consensus. This is the direction markets are evolving. And we've seen a lot of comments recently on this from you know, Hong Kong with the issuance of their, of their latest green bond, uh, comments even from the Fed, and from titans of finance like BlackRock's Larry Fink. I think it's also really interesting to see a validation of the thesis that a lot, maybe even most of the really interesting applications of tokenization especially in financial markets, isn't happening in the US or Europe. It's happening in emerging markets in places like Central Asia and Latin America. If you found this conversation useful, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Tomas, thank you very much for joining us today. Looking forward to this conversation. No, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so maybe to start off, we could do with a quick introduction to um, yourself and Mifil and, and what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, sure. So me and my co-founders, we, we started Mifiel. Uh, as a solution to sign documents, to be able to sign a document digitally. Uh, in the U.S., you have things like DocuSign, which work very well for the U.S. Uh, laws. But in Mexico, the regulation is different, and DocuSign doesn't really work um, that well in Mexico. So we had to come up with a new system. And so <clears throat> while we implemented this, at some point, we, we arrived at the problem of documents that have to be unique, which are specific kinds of contracts like uh, uh, promissory notes, that it's not just enough to be able to sign them electronically. They also have, there has to be a way to track their uniqueness and how they move among people. And, and that's where, where uh, we're working on mainly now, like how do we make these documents transferable? Okay, so the fundamental problem is tracking how these documents get processed and who needs to sign them. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so you have that on one side, which is a document needs to be signed by some party. So like uh, you have your counterparty and then you have you and then you have to sign them. But there's also documents that need to be unique and transferable among people. So like um, these are called, uh, they're usually debt instruments. So the document not only has to be signed by the people that, that have to sign it, there also has to be a mechanism to be able to transfer the ownership of the digital document. Got it. So you mentioned promissory notes. Do you maybe want to run us through what exactly is a promissory note and then what kind of people are using those? Yeah, sure. So uh, in Mexico and in many uh, Latin American countries and countries that follow uh, Napoleonic law instead of common law, you have, so when you, when you want a loan, the lender will ask you to sign a promissory note, which is basically a document where you say that you're unconditionally going to pay X amount of money 
at X and at X date. So maybe three months in the future, a year in the future. And so when the, this this piece of paper, you sign it, and then it's a negotiable instrument, which means that the financial company can take this uh, negotiable instrument and resell it to someone else, and that person can resell it again, and then eventually whoever is the last owner of this document will come to the original, the, the person in debt and say, I have a paper here that says that you owe this amount by this date, please pay me. So even though you, you originally got the loan from someone else, you have to pay whoever produces that uh, note uh, to you. Okay. So what kind of people are doing that? They're using those those promissory notes. Is it individuals? Is it corporations? Who, who are the, the users? So in Mexico, it's usually the financial companies. When they lend money either to people or to businesses, the person receiving the money has to sign a note and the financial company keeps the note. How big is that market? Do you know how big is... Because um, I guess that's kind of your TAM, right? That's your total addressable market that you guys are looking to kind of get a chunk of. How, how big is that opportunity? And, and is your focus in Mexico or is it, you know, all of Latin America? So we're focusing right now in Mexico. Uh, I don't have the exact number of the size of the market. This is a, a rather new thing that we stumbled upon a year ago. Um, but most credit that it's given, that it's, uh, yeah, that it's uh, lent in Mexico is uh, backed by a promissory note. So we were talking about uh, billions of dollars of, 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 of uh, debt instruments that are backed by millions of these pieces of paper. And what, do you have any idea what the average size is? So the, the average amount will depend. Um, uh, so if you're talking about, for example, leasing in business context, where they're leasing trucks or they're leasing machinery, then you're going to have bigger average tickets. But if you're talking about, for example, a payday loan, uh, it will be a slower, uh, slower, a smaller amount, and and then you have I don't know like bigger loans. Then you have mortgages. So you're talking about a house, and there's a promissory note. So then that's going to be way more. So it in reality, any kind of credit that is given in Mexico usually involves a promissory note. Okay, interesting. So is this kind of like your first step to focus on promissory notes and then build out in that market, or do you see do you or do you guys look at applying this technology to different kinds of assets as well? So we've been looking at other markets. So besides Mexico, other places where they use promissory notes, uh, we can talk a little bit about the particularities of each of uh, different markets later. And uh, the, the, regarding the type of documents we have, so there are many types of these kinds of documents. So promissory notes would be one, then you have bills of credit, and then you have... Um, uh, like the landing bills when, when, when merchandise gets offloaded in a port. You have many documents. We have only gone into promissory notes because it was the most obvious and the biggest pain in Mexico due to macroeconomic situation where basically uh, lending just uh, dried up because some big financial companies uh, collapsed. And so, but there are many use cases that we've been exploring with other parties, uh, other types of documents and in other countries because different countries use them for different things. Okay, so it, so it sounds like you guys are a technology layer, right? The layers in between these end users, whether they're individuals or businesses, and then between the, is it financial institutions that are doing the lending or is this more of a peer-to-peer -peer thing or, or do you see it developing in that direction? So it's, it's mainly institutional. So you're going to have a financial institution that's going to be lending to people and then they're going to bundle a bunch of those promissory notes and then they're going to uh, put post them as collateral in a bank trust and then they'll receive funds from like a global investment bank to keep lending. And the global investment bank will take those promissory notes 
as a collateral in case the Mexican financial company defaults or goes bankrupt. So how are you finding adoption? Because it sounds to me like initially that you'd probably have two challenges. Like the first challenge is getting a lot of these businesses to to start using the technology, right? And I think a lot of these businesses are probably traditional and the technology part of it is probably pretty intimidating, intimidating for them. And then the second part would be the investment banks who are notoriously really slow in adopting technology. So it sounds like you've got pretty big, two big, pretty big challenges on the adoption side. How are you, which is the worst and how are you guys like tackling that? I mean, we have an advantage of context. So as I mentioned before, the, the, since a year and a half ago, there's been a chain of bankruptcies of the biggest non-banking financial lenders in Mexico. They were doing bonds, which are not backed by anything. And then if they default or they go bankrupt, the, the lenders they don't get anything back, right? So credit dried up if it wasn't uh, credit with a collateral. And so then uh, you have, I mean, financial companies need to keep lending and investment banks want to keep lending in Mexico because we have high interest rates in comparison to the the developed world, right? So in Mexico, you're looking at our Fed rate is like 11% right now. You guys are like 5% or something. So there's money to be made. And so they want to keep lending, but they want collab. They're not going to lend without collateral. And so the discussions usually with the investment banks uh, went like, we don't really want to do this. We don't want to touch uh, anything that has to do with blockchain, but we really want to lend in Mexico. And so it seems that the only legal way of doing this right now is using this blockchain-based solution that that uh, you've developed. And so it was more of a push. They, they were pushed to try it. Okay, and so how are you doing the tokenization? I think I guess you know the the, the fact that you're on this podcast suggests that you're probably using Liquid. <laughs> so do you want to talk about how you're actually doing the tokenization? Are you doing? Is it transfer restricted assets on on AMP, or how are you doing it? <laughs> the beautiful thing about these promissory notes is that they're supposed to circulate in the open market, so um, they don't have to be restricted. And so the, the way that we do it is we issue assets in Liquid. So for example, a company says, "I need to buy." A thousand um, uh, like unique uh, assets for because I'm going to issue a thousand pagares or I'm going to use a thousand pagares with my clients. So we issue a thousand uh, unique assets for them in liquid, and then as they generate these promissory notes, that they're gonna every time they lend, they generate a promissory note. They take the 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 unique ID and then they put it in their document and they send it off to sign. And so once it's signed, it's it's uh, legally and cryptographically linked. To the document that they signed. So now you have like this asset in the blockchain and then you have this metadata, which is basically what the asset represents, which is a PDF. And then when you combine both is when you have this promissory note that is digital and it's unique and you can transfer around and everybody knows who holds it at any given time. Okay. So that's interesting. So it's like a provenance aspect to it too, of, of who holds it, who owns it. It's like a reverse NFT because in an NFT, you have the, the, the asset in the blockchain and then it points to a URL where you have like the image of a, of a monkey. Here, it's the opposite. You have the, the asset in the blockchain and then in the digital document, you put the asset. And so uh, it's exactly the reverse and the metadata, instead of being in a server somewhere where you have a little image of a, uh, of a chimp, here you have uh, a PDF that is a legal document of someone owes money to someone. It sounds like its value might be easier to calculate than a monkey picture. Yeah. I- <laughs> Yeah, no, no, never, never stop laughing at the monkey pictures. Um, 
So what about the regulatory side? So I think promissory notes are generally considered debt securities. So I, I guess on the regulatory side, if you guys are doing the technology advisory, I guess, or technology services, then you probably don't need to have securities licenses, right? Given that it's being issued by um, you know these financial institutions that have all the licensing they need. Yeah. So here, this is where you're like walking on the edge of the knife, because if we would take let's say a bundle of those promissory notes, and then we would IPO them, that would be an illegal securities offering because you're bundling debt instruments and then selling them to retail, which here, China, the US, that's a, that's a security, right? But here, since th- there's two ways that these, um, that these promissory notes are used, one is you bundle them and then you sell them to a uh, global investment bank. That's not a it is a security, but since they're a global bank, it's like a private, and they're not, you're not putting it in open markets like in, with retail. And then something that we've been done, doing recently is we do bundle them and we put them in a, in a bank trust and then that bank trust gets uh, IPO'd in the Mexican Stock Exchange. And then they go through the process of whatever you have to do to do an IPO. And so these bonds, so they get transferred peer-to-peer among institutions and they also get transferred to retail through a, an IPO. So how is secondary trading handled now? So like, you know, an investment bank will buy up a bunch of these promissory notes, wrap them up in a product, and then they'll list them on the Mexican uh, stock exchange, something like that? No. So the way it works is uh, you, they make a trust and they transfer the promissory notes to the trust. And then they issue uh, like trust titles, a hundred, let's say, and they put those trust titles in the Mexican stock exchange. And then you, tr- you trade the trust title, like fractions of it, you trade them. And but the, the promissory notes are just deposited electronically in the trust. So there's no there's no investment bank that buys it and packages and sells it. Um, it goes directly to retail. Oh, okay, great. And so retail investors can trade these things on the Mexican stock exchange. You don't have to be accredited or corporate or something like that. Nope. And what's the liquidity like? Do they have decent liquidity? Do they trade okay? I mean, they used to have. Now with the financial companies going broke. Not so much, but there's still liquidity because they're still doing it. So um, there is enough to 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 go in and out. And also, they're not that big. So we're talking about fifty million, a hundred million, maybe. So it's not like someone's going to come and try to liquidate a billion of one of the trusts. Like that doesn't happen. No, that's a good point. Yeah, if it's a hundred or fifty million or a hundred million dollar asset, like what percent of that do you think will trade on a daily basis? So it's still probably pretty thin. But you know, I, I do. I do think within you know the 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 Bitcoin and the broader digital asset space that there's a there's a demand for yield and people want that stuff. I think there's a lot of crypto high net worth people that have a ton of Bitcoin, have a ton of Tether, and you know if they can invest in something that can generate yield for them without completely ripping their face off, I, th- I think there's a demand there and there's a bit of a mismatch. So I think there's an opportunity to mat- to match up some of that that yield in these things with. Um, with these investors looking for those opportunities. There's a reason why emerging markets are so interesting for these investment banks because they get really high yield there. And so that's why you have, even though they get burned, like Credit Suisse lost like $500 million with one of the financial companies that went bust a few months ago called Unifin. But they're still lending. Now they're asking for collateral, but they're still there because it's like, there's where the action is and that's where the big yield is and they're not going to just give it up. So, but it's... it's uh, Unless you're a Mexican that has access to the Mexican stock exchange, you have to be in a global investment bank to get into the action. So it makes sense that if you open it to more people uh, abroad, they would get a, it's a good opportunity for them. 
Sure. And just naturally opening it up to more people should increase liquidity as well. You've just got more people that can participate in this thing in smaller amounts. Is there plans to do that? Is anybody doing that? So, well, nobody's doing it because I think we are the first ones that are using promissory notes on the blockchain to scale. Like that, it's a, it's a use case. So we've been thinking about being able to bundle them and then to offer them through secondary markets as uh, like in Bitfinex. I saw their, 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 their platform. Um, there are some legal things that we have to analyze, but it is in the. It, since these promissory notes are digital and they can move around, it it, are, it allows for like, um, uh, well, more efficient capital raise for the Mexican companies that are looking for the capital. And what, what do you think about the market appetite for that in the in the crypto world? Because kind of my view in the in the digital asset Bitcoin crypto world is that there is clearly a hunger for yield, like people want to get return. Um, and I think there's an opportunity that's opening up after all of these blowups over the last, you know, 12 or 18 months. And I think this structure that you're you're putting together with promissory notes and that, that we have also with securities is just so much more transparent. You know, it's just such a step up because there's, you know, there's 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 clearly defined obligations that issuers have to do. All the details are out there for people willing and able to look into them. So I think it's just such a safer thing for investors than, you know, something like, uh, you know, much more speculative, like a protocol yield or something like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, these are this is this is debt that is owned by Mexican um, businesses and Mexican individuals. So, of course, there's default rates, but they're the, the way that these things get set up, they, they analyze the, the, the debt bundle that you're putting and they say, OK, this can this probably will have an 8% default rate or whatever. And then they 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 value it. Right. So these are these are yield instruments, but they are also not protocol yields. These are actually this is debt, and so it's a very well known instrument, and it's easy to price, relatively easy to price, and relatively easy to know what the return will be depending on on, on some conditions. So this kind of stuff that involves contracts and financial institutions and securities. This is all very clearly centralized finance, right? Do you think there's a way that this could evolve into like a more DeFi-ish type structure? Well, I don't know if it's centralized because I think the, the the difference here is that when you have a stock, which is also one of these instruments in Mexico, it has the same legal um, framework as the promissory note. Stocks have to be deposited in a central repository with a Mexican stock exchange. The same in the U.S., the same everywhere. There's a, a vault where you put the papers and then they get each. Everywhere, yeah. Exactly. Promissory notes, they don't have that. That doesn't exist. Um, Mexico doesn't have that vault for promissory notes. So then it is decentralized in the sense that there's nothing inherently centralized of it. Because here, I mean... Investment bank number one wants to buy it. Maybe it's not them. And then you bundle it and give it to investment bank number B uh, or number two. So it's it's essentially different because you don't have a central repository where everything has to be there, which is a centralizing point when you have like um, stocks or government bonds. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes back to my question about transfer restricted securities, because the main concern with this stuff is that you you strip out the KYC AML part of it, right? So if you t- if you get like a stock and then you issue it on an ERC twenty, and then I send it to Osama bin Laden or somebody like that, right? Like that's a, that's that's a problem, and that's what regulators don't like. They don't want you to take the normal security process and then through this kind of like you're restructuring, you turn it into a bearer asset. I don't think there's regulators anywhere that particularly like bearer assets anymore. So that's why I asked about the transfer of restricted assets, because that's how we do it with like the BMN, for example, because then we have a whitelist and then people can trade it on Telegram peer to peer because it's all within this whitelisted framework. 
So have you guys thought about employing that kind of mechanism? Well, it's because that ha- what you're describing happens because you took something that was in a centralized database where there's controls, uh, who can own these things and how do you get to play in the stock exchange? And then you try to replicate somewhere else and you don't have to play by those rules. Promissory notes in Mexico, they don't play, you don't have to do KYC. That, that's because you can literally just draft a little piece of paper, I can sign it and then I can go and sell it to someone on the street with no KYC, no ever, because there is not a central authority or repository that, that checks them. So it is a, it's a bearer security. It is a bearer security. In the, well, I mean, you have to name who owns it. So it's not just like whoever holds this piece of paper is uh, entitled to it. You have to put, it has a name, but the name is on the, on the, on the same piece of paper. When it's a piece of paper, you write, uh, pay to the order of, of Jesse, uh, and then I just give it to you and it's yours. And then you go on and you, you, you collect the debt and nobody's going to ask, wait, where did this come from? Or no, here it says that it's mine. It was sent to me or it was endorsed to me by Tomas, who was the original owner. Oh, I have a feeling that concept will be very popular in the Bitcoin world. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the tricky thing about this, the, the, tri- the tricky thing is that not all countries work this way. So, for example, if you take Colombia, they do have a central repository where all the promissory notes have to be deposited. And then there you won't be able to just like take it and, and, and give it to someone else. Uh, uh, different countries have done it. The US, for example, they do not have a central, a mandated central repository. Um, there's a company that controls uh, 70% of, uh, it's uh, it's a marketing. They, they became the biggest and so they control 70%. But 30% of the, of the notes that are signed when you get a mortgage in the US, they just move around freely and, and they don't have to be registered anywhere. So how, how many of these things have you guys issued so far? What, what, what is kind of like the dollar value of what you guys have issued so far? So we're about to break the 70,000 uh, promissory note issuance. And it's, it translates to about $220, $230 million in, in well, the, 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 the debt that that represents. Okay. And then, and then presumably, like you said, the investment banks will package that up and then offer that as a product to probably typically institutional investors, right? Yes. So, well, there's some, some investment banks, they just buy them or lend against them to get return on the money that, that they have. Others will repackage and redo, uh, like, uh, well, like do more investment banking things with them. And some of these will end up, as I mentioned before, in the Mexican stock exchange, and then they will be uh, IPO. And, and you mentioned that the kind of federal federally set interest rate in Mexico is somewhere around 11%. What's the kind of yield that's being applied to these notes? I mean, if it's uh, so usually these uh, foreign investment banks, they're going to lend with like a double digit interest in dollars, denominated in dollars. So the, the, the Mexican financial company will hedge their their exposure and they will get a, a line of credit in dollars. So uh, the bank will get an all 16, 17 percent on, on dollars. OK, that's interesting. Yeah. And so another interesting thing, too, yeah, is I guess domestically, they I don't know, I'm not sure if this is a requirement or just like the de facto need of people. In, in, in Mexico. So it's being issued in pesos. So the promissory note is denominated in pesos. Usually in Mexico, debt is denominated in pesos. But the lending that takes place against that promissory note is denominated in dollars. That's why the financial companies in Mexico have to get futures to, to hedge the risk of them getting a loan in dollars backed by these Mexican instruments. And then they disburse in pesos. Have you explored or do you think it would be interesting at all to do the lending just in Tether? Like, would there be, is is there, I'm not sure how strong the Tether market is in in Mexico itself, but would you think there would be interest in doing that? Because then people are getting the US dollar loan and maybe they can 
just by doing that, they hedge out some of the FX risk with the peso without having to get involved in futures contracts. It, it could be done, but there are, there's no liquidity in Mexico for Tether. So let's say that um, you want to buy 500, look at, let's say $50 million worth of promissory notes. You give $50 million in Tether. It's not easy to convert $50 million in Tether to either dollars or pesos in Mexico. So, I mean, we've been looking into this, but it's not that easy because of liquidity issues. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that would be interesting because there, there is so much US dollar demand, you know, especially in places where there's more currency volatility that, um, you know, if you could meet that, I mean, we're set up to meet that demand, I think, through the liquid network, right? Um, with 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 liquid on, on uh, with USDT on liquid. I mean, it should, it sounds like it's theoretically, technically possible to do. Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, I think we will get there eventually uh, because... It is dollars, and these financial companies are looking for dollar lines of credit. So, um, and the people want to invest in dollars. So there's a match, and so there's willingness on both sides. And so it's just a matter of finding out the correct pathway or instrument, or yeah, it's a it's a path of how to get those tethers into dollars into the Mexican financial companies' accounts. So the average note size is three thousand dollars. It's like $3,300, exactly. Yeah, I, I was going to say that on the demand side, then it sounds to me that it skews probably towards like either very small businesses or individuals, right? So maybe the payday component of it is much longer, much larger than I thought. I thought it would be skewed towards kind of like small, mid-sized businesses that are doing import-export stuff. And maybe that's how you get to the single, di- single digit million number. But if it's, you know, 3,000-ish dollars, then it's probably, so who, who's, the, who's, the, who's the bulk of the demand then? You're, you're seeing this skewed towards a smaller amount because just for, for, for uh, like, I don't know, luck or anything, our main customers right now, or the ones that started, they were payday loan companies. Uh, so it just skewed the, the metric. Now we're getting more like leasing companies, invoice factoring, which is what you're referring to with export. And that will make the, the average of each uh, note increase. But it's just, it, we just started with that market because it happened. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's where the demand is. Okay, that's interesting. And what is so? What is that? that so the average duration of these notes must be super short, then. So it depends. So uh, if you're talking about like payday loans, I'm calling them payday loans, but it's not exactly the translation in English. It, th- these are like one to two year loans. So a personal one to two year loan, and so these uh, promissory notes will have uh, a life span of one to two years. When we're talking about leasing, which is another one of our, our big use cases, then you're talking about four years usually. So it's a note that will live for four years. And then when you're doing factoring, it's a few months uh, usually. So it depends uh, on the use case. And so different notes have different uh, like lifetimes. What is the, on the default side, like how, do, how are defaults handled? I guess because it's a, you know, a structured product that all goes through all the courts in Mexico. And, and what is the average default rate that you guys are seeing? So, okay. So um, let's say a financial company bundles a thousand of these and then sells them off to an investment bank, a US investment bank, let's say, right? And then there's defaults. There are there are more players involved in this. You have the, the loan servicers, which is, they are looking at the, 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 the behavior of the portfolio. And then when someone defaults, they do the suing them in court to make them pay. So there is this mechanism where you, where you sell it to the bank, but the bank hires a local Mexican administrator, loan servicer, they're also in the US, which take care of like suing people to rec- recover the money that's not being paid. And so the default rate, it's gonna depend on type of instrument. So in a leasing, you're gonna see very low single digits. On like personal loans, you're gonna see, I don't know, maybe 
high single digit numbers. So it depends on what kind of um, product it is. Yeah. And I guess the idea is that on aggregate, you get enough loans out that a few a few defaults don't really affect the total unless you get like the 2008 housing crisis and then the whole thing blows up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there, there, there's nothing to do. But I mean, usually, so the leasing... So when it's a leasing uh, promissory note, then you're going to have the least assets. So either a truck or machinery that can be recalled, and then you use that to, to, to recover the money. And when it's a payday loan, they're usually for government employees in Mexico. And so basically it's a, the government warranty because no one gets fired from government ever. And the government will pay that debt because through the, the wages of the worker. And, and why did you guys pick uh, Liquid? Why didn't you do use something like uh, Solana? Or something, one of these other things. Well, so there are many. There, there's many um, like um, factors here. The first one was we initially didn't in liquid because when we like thought about this product, liquid didn't exist. So we didn't color coins, uh, a specific implementation of color coins. That project got abandoned, and we we're like, okay, now we have to think of a project that a won't be abandoned as easy or has a bigger community. B it's not going to be deemed a security, which basically wipes most of the of the of the chains that there are that are out there. Solana probably a security, uh, EOS very likely a security, Ethereum maybe a security. We don't know, but um, we couldn't take that risk because we're talking about investment banks and financial institutions and like IPOs and and, and structure uh, debt uh, structures. Like all these are regulated people that don't want to risk the reputation using Solana, for example. I still think that people don't fully appreciate that risk. Um, it, it, even, even with all the news recently about the SEC looking at, you know, the bulk of the digital asset space as unregistered securities, I think people don't fully appreciate the risk on that, especially if you're doing security type products, um, to tokenize security type products. Because the whole thing with Liquid is that there wasn't an ICO coin. There's not another coin associated with it, right? It's all on Bitcoin. And that's how you pay your issuance and your transaction fees and all of that. And and Bitcoin is the only one that's you know sufficiently decentralized where even the SEC has said that it's 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 not a security. So I think um, you know that probably hindered. To be honest, it probably hindered Liquid's adoption because there wasn't that token associated with it that you can pump and speculate on. But in the long run, it's the more sustainable path. And I think probably. Even now, people don't fully appreciate the risks um, associated with with using some of these kind of like ICO type tokens um, for issuance and transaction payments. And I mean, and there's also, as you correctly point out, they issue their own token and then there's a lot of grants. So I know projects that just, oh, we're going to put it in blah, 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 because we're going to get grants from all of them and it comes to a million dollars, right? So they're just thinking about the grants. Liquid doesn't give grants for obvious reasons, but... In our case, when we're talking to like the Mexican banks that are the, because the trusts have to be incorporated by Mexican banks. And so you tell a Mexican bank, we're going to use this Solana thing that might or might not be a security. We don't know. It, it might be called a security. And then the banks will be like, we, we can't build our business, especially $230 million worth of debt in something that might be called a security in three years. It would be a catastrophe. So they really, they were really key or really conscious about what blockchain are you going to use and that was the first thing that we were asked by the mexican banks by the investment global investment banks like what blockchain are you using and we would say we're using liquid we're going to migrate uh, sorry uh, litecoin we're migrating to liquid and they were like okay that is fine if you had said you were using uh, eos or, or or algorand or something like that we would have said we we can do it 
That's interesting. So are they are they sophisticated enough to ask that question or are you guys kind of like guiding them down it and giving them a presentation and saying, hey, here are the risks? Or do they do they do they already are they on the ball? Do they already understand that? They had a lot of risks in mind already when when we talked to them. So I remember this big global investment bank. They they were like, we have two issues, two two very two things that don't let us sleep at night regarding your solution. Well, you're, you're, the security thing is out of the window because you're not using a security blockchain. But first, what happens if we get our addresses dusted by OFAC uh, sanctioned addresses? First thing. And that was a big, uh, like, if someone finds out that this is our, these are our addresses and then they, to, just to see the world burn, they dust us with OFAC uh, sanctioned transactions. What do we do? Number one. And then number two was we cannot hold the cryptocurrency in our balance sheet. None of it. No Bitcoin, no uh, Litecoin, no Ether, no nothing. So you have to find a way. For, for regulatory reasons, right? Exactly. Even if it's a dollar just to make transactions, we cannot we cannot hold it. So they, they did not want to have publicly known addresses and they did not want to have to hold any kind of cryptocurrency, even if it's a dollar. So how do you solve that? Who holds the addresses? Who ma- who manages that then? So we we had to do a lot of legal back and forth with their with their uh, American law firm, which was basically they pay a custodian in Me- they pay a Mexican company to be a record keeper that gets to up uh, to to uh, to how do you say it? to 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 record in the database which is liquid that this asset now belongs to this. So it, it's instead of saying keys and custody and we remove all that and we go to the basics, which is is the keys are just a way to write in the database. So you're a record keeper. You hire a record keeper that is going to write things in a database for you. That's you know historically been one of the impediments for institutional money participating in the space is just the legacy system is structured to have depositories and 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 custodians and things like that. And typically, you know, even asset managers aren't able to custody their own assets. So you need to have things kind of a step away from them, even though it's you know it's so much more efficient to be able to manage your own wallets. Is you do need to have a setup where there's you know you kind of working around the structure of the legacy system. Yeah, I mean here the the loan servicer is the the one that's doing this like record keeping. So we we just the loan servicer just absorbed that that necessity and the custodian disappeared. So these structures have uh, custodians usually where there's like a physical place where you deposit the pieces of paper. Those are gone now, and so uh, the custodian is gone, and so now there's no custodian. There's a record keeper that is the loan servicer. What is your plan for global domination? Like, how do you see yourself in twelve or twenty-four months? How do you see this developing for you guys? So we, the, the Mexican market is still growing a lot because seventy thousand promissory notes is nothing in comparison to the volume of promissory notes that move every day in Mexico. So, well, we're gonna keep uh, building here, which is, I think, Mexico is a perfect storm for for using uh, blockchain to do a very specific type of document, and everything's aligned. And all the players don't really want to do it, but have to, so otherwise. They cannot keep doing business. But we're also looking at other countries that have not exact similar uh, use cases, but have um, uh, they use these kind of documents that have to be negotiable instruments uh, and that are not registered in a central repository in the country. So we've identified a bunch of countries, a bunch of use cases. And so we are, we're looking into those. Uh, and hopefully in, like two, in a year or two, we would be in five, five countries, let's say, doing five different use cases on this. Is is El Salvador on your list? Is that regime interesting to you guys? Mm, 
<laughs> I would like to say yes, but it's a no because it's a very small economy. So the negotiable instruments that move around in El Salvador are probably very small. And and you don't really need a government-friendly, like a Bitcoin-friendly government to pull what we're doing. In fact, the Mexican government is very unfriendly to anything that has to do with crypto. The Central Bank of Mexico hates crypto. But we found this use case that the central bank has nothing to do. And the regulators like it because they say the risk of having a central repository like Colombia is not something that we wanted to like think about or have to regulate. So the solution that you have, it's good. And so we like it. And so keep doing it. So for El Salvador, maybe the interesting part could be for the secondary trading side, right? Like with with the structure that they're developing on um you know the, their digital asset framework and how it applies to things like security tokens maybe the opportunity there could be to pull in some of these financial services institutions that you guys are working with and then giving them better liquidity on, on the secondary trading side because i'm sure they'd appreciate having more liquidity in these kind of assets exactly it's not issuing promissory notes in El Salvador is taking the promissory notes or other uh, negotiable instruments that have been issued in other countries and using El Salvador as a source of funds for these uh, instruments. Uh, that, that is what we've looking at, uh, that, that we've been looking at. Yeah, no, that's great. That's, I mean, we can have a conversation on that further. That, 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 that'd be great. We were going to sunset this product because uh, uh, we developed it in 2017. It's so like no traction whatsoever. Yeah, that's so early. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. So because we really like blockchain. So we, we, we developed this thing. We knew that that, um, that uh, promissory notes in Mexico were used this way, but the market conditions weren't there. So um, nobody understood it and there was no need. Then eventually something shifted, which was a big financial company in Mexico blew up and didn't pay its investors. And then the investors were like, okay, we need, we need a, a collateral. We need hard assets to, 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 and promissory notes are considered hard assets. We need assets to, to back this. And then when companies started switching to that, doing it in paper, they say like, this is not scalable if we keep doing it in paper. Everybody's going to ask for like the promissory notes and we have to, to millions of pieces of paper. Like that, that doesn't scale. And so suddenly it was like slowly and then suddenly, you know, the way that they say it's with uh, Bitcoin. And so we went from zero to like almost a quarter billion dollars in these instruments in a year. Oh, that's that's that that's wild. Okay, that that's really interesting. And so th- then that led us to 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 like look at the product, and that's where we found out that the at least what we think liquid specific use case is where you have these documents that are negotiable that don't have a central repository to be sent to. I think that's a sweet spot. There are many, many, in many different parts of the world, you'll find these kind of documents that, that back, they're very obscure and most people don't know they exist, but they're, they're backing commerce everywhere. And so we're really excited to, to look into those things. Yeah, that's interesting. When, you know, in 2017, that kind of period, I was working at a, at a bank and we were looking at how we could apply, they wanted to apply blockchain to provenance systems, right? So our bank was big in minerals and mining. And they said, you know, there's piles of iron ore in China, for example, with like five people that have claims on it. Like, is there a way to structure this kind of technology to help us figure out who owns that? So it's kind of a similar similar thing. And I think, yeah, that's maybe an interesting angle to get into some of these financial services companies is that when it's just become so difficult to handle the physical asset, you know, is there an application of this technology to help us do that? And it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing here. There's a difference here. You're talking about a physical asset. These promissory notes are digital. They're not physical. They can be sent to El Salvador in a minute. And because I don't think it really translates well when you have a physical asset, because what happens if the physical asset doesn't get moved? And then you move the token and then 
yeah, I have the token, but the, the iron ore is in China. What do I do now? Yeah, no, I think your use case fits better because the problem with things like physical provenance systems is it's like if you, you know, it, it all comes down to the data entry, right? If there's some mistake or error when, error when people are trying to input, you know, who owns that, that, that material, then that gets carried on down the chain. But your thing is completely different because it can be completely digitized. It's a digital bearer asset. It's a digital bearer asset, which I think uh, the liquid platform is perfect for that because it's not a physical thing. It's a digital bearer asset that you have to transfer digitally without double spends. I would imagine that there's a lot of demand on the, you know, both the investor side and then on the on the on the demand side as well. So this sounds like a really interesting place to be. So you mentioned that your demand has just like surged over the last years. How do you see that playing out? Like, so do you? And where is that? Is that demand? So that demand is coming mostly from the issuer side or from like the investor side or, or both? The, the Mexican financial companies, they, their, 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 their raw material is money. They need it to, to lend, otherwise they go bankrupt, right? And so they need sources of funding. And the lenders, they're looking for yield, especially now with, the, with the everything, you need yield. It's a, it, right now, it's the moment the time that people are looking for yield. And so the only way to get yield is I need to lend you money but you guys have defaulted in the past, so I cannot just lend you the money. I need collateral. And the only collateral that you have as a financial company is these promissory notes. And so it's like a no-brainer. It's like <laughs> we none of them feel very comfortable because very new, but there's really no other way of doing it. And so that's why this is beautiful because it's adoption by necessity. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful thing. And so, but why are the banks, because I, I would think that the natural response from the banks is to do like a JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs thing and develop their own Ethereum clone, you know, have some sort of private blockchain. So why are the banks in Mexico using Liquid and using you guys? Is it they, they don't have the technology resources or what's the reason? Because one the bank in Mexico doesn't decide why the fin- what the financial company will use to issue the, the, the paper. So the financial company comes to the bank, to the trust bank, uh, saying, I have these promissory notes. I need to make a trust because this international bank is going to fund me, right? So we, have, we went with the financial companies to say, this is a digital uh, way of doing it. And so they're already digital and they go and they say, we have them digital. And then the, the investment bank from, from abroad, they look at it and they say, okay, we will lend you. So either you transfer me physical pieces of paper with all the costs that's involved, or oh, let's try this digital thing that seems to also cover me in the sense that if you go bankrupt, I will still be able to collect the debts on, on these promissory notes. And digital makes it easier for me too, because I don't have to worry about custodians and maybe the, the documents being lost, which happened a lot. There was a lot of fraud regarding that. So it's, it's um, the financial company said, we want to have them digital because it makes it easier for us to transfer them. And then the, the investment banks were like, we need them and we will tolerate that they're digital because we understand that otherwise this business is going to happen because it's not feasible. And does that make it cheaper as well? Like with more efficiency, is, is, is it cheaper than the, the, the previous system? Yeah, a lot. Super. Because imagine when you have these physical ones, you you have a company, right? And you do small business uh, lending. In Mexico is a big country geographically. So first, the person has to sign it and then ship it to you, FedEx. You get it. You have to store it somewhere. So you have to hire a Iron Mountain or one of those to, to store those. Because those pieces of paper, they are your loan. If you lose them, 
you're in trouble. You cannot collect the, the, the debt anymore. So Yeah, no, it's like cash, right? Yeah. It's like cash, yeah. So you have to make sure that they're very well protected. And that is expensive, protecting piece of paper, especially if you have tens of thousands of them. And then when you do a trust, you have to get an armored car to go pick them up and then move them over to whatever the, the, the lender says that's going to be moved. And then once the debt gets canceled, they have to be fetched and then given back to the original, to the person. So I cancel my loan, I pay my loan, and I say, give me my promissory note back. It's already paid, so I don't want you to come a year later and try to, to, to cash that promissory note. So then these pieces of paper are moving everywhere, and that's super expensive. With our system, it's just like, cha, 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 and then uh, investment bank wants 5,000 of these instruments. You do a click, and then 5,000 get transferred. And they can see in real time how they're coming into their digital vault. And then they say, check, we received, here's the money. It's beautiful. I appreciate your time today. And then, you know, to learn about a part of this market that I had, I had no idea about. I think this is really interesting. And I think, um, you know, there's probably a, a lot of opportunities for collaborations with um, Bitfinex Securities and more stuff on the liquid side as well. So this is a really interesting part of the market. And I appreciate you um, coming on today and, 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 and teaching us about this. Yeah, no, uh, very glad that you invited me. No, that's great. All right. Thanks a lot, Thomas. I, I appreciate your time. No, thank you.